Welcome into Gen Z Utah Jazz, where the Jazz fall 118-115 in Miami. Hassan Whiteside heading back to his old stomping grounds where he spent five seasons of his career. Jordan Clarkson gets into a little kerfuffle briefly with Kyle Lowry. That was fun. Uh, and I'm hoping, McCade, you could tell me a little bit about what you saw because it didn't look like much I on my end. I didn't see much. Royce O'Neal finally breaks out of his offensive struggles and also plays some pretty great defense. I think he finishes the game with four steals. But in the end, a physical heat defense, exactly what you and I talked about after Thursday night's game, the, the physicality of the heat, slow the Jazz offense down just enough. Jazz aren't able to get going until it's a little bit too late. The Jazz defense falters. Well, you know, maybe not. Maybe was it just that Miami's offense was superb? I, I think you could make the argument either way. It's a make or miss league. <laughs> okay, Matt Harpring. Well, he's McCade Pearson. I'm Brian Priest. I got one question for you before we jump into, we're going to be doing a different format today, but what did you think about Hassan Whiteside playing in crunch time over Gobert? Did you like Whiteside being on the floor and Quinn making an adjustment? It's fine. It's not a big deal. We were used to Rudy Gobert sitting in the middle parts of quarters. He stuck into the six minute mark of the fourth quarter and Hassan Whiteside checked in. It was a 19 point game. A couple minutes later, I get not bringing Rudy back in. And then all of a sudden the jazz going a little bit of a run. Might as well just write it out with Whiteside. So uh, Gobert checks in for one possession there in the last 30 seconds. Jazz still fall. I don't think it's a story or anything like that. I do think it's a little weird and quirky that Quinn's willing to do that to Rudy, but he won't take out Clarkson when Clarkson can't hit a shot because Clarkson's his guy. Maybe that's a Missouri thing. I don't know, but that's a little quirky. But overall, it's not nothing. Choose me. Choose me. I what have a theory. Got? Hit me okay. with your theory. It's all psychological. And I know we don't need to ever talk about uh, Quinn Snyder in Missouri again on this podcast. No, no, we probably shouldn't. Not if we're a pro Quinn Snyder podcast, at least. Yes. (laughs) This is all psychological, pure speculation. And maybe I'm just making stuff up. Maybe Rudy Gobert is a guy that we have seen time and time again, that negative things happening to him when things don't go his way. Those are things that motivate him and make him play better. Psychologically, he internalizes that. That's why he wears number 27. 26 teams passed on him in the draft. He's a guy who plays with a chip on his shoulder, with an attitude, and he harnesses that locker room bulletin board material that sometimes you'll hear about, and it makes him play better. Maybe Jordan Clarkson isn't somebody who responds to a perceived slight or negative connotation. And again, this is just pure speculation. Everybody psychologically is different. We know that Rudy responds positively to those types of things. And perhaps Quinn knows that. And that's one thing that I do love about Quinn Snyder is he coaches everybody differently depending on what style is going to work for you. And I think that's where you find your best coaches. Uh, So maybe... That's part of it. I don't know. I'm just well, that's a fair theory for sure. I'm fully supportive of Quinn Snyder and I believe in everything he does on the floor and obviously his players do. So maybe that's what it is. Today we're we're going with a little bit of a different format. Normally we'd go through this little discussion, brief discussion about the game, and then we'd talk about two or three specific players. But you actually posted what I found to be a really interesting thread on Twitter right after the game so interesting you called it gold 
Don't give me interesting. You I apologize. Cool. I'm selling you short, McCann. I'm selling. You posted a golden thread. I mean, who who was it? What's the fairy tale? Is it is it Rumpelstiltskin that has to do with uh, yeah. weaving gold thread or something? I don't know. I stick I, with Disney. I'm not. I'm not good at. <laughs> I don't have children, and I never plan to, so I don't need to know the Rumpelstiltskin story. But your golden thread, McCade. I just thought we could go through this one point at a time. You've got, I think, yeah, seven different points on this. We'll just go through each one, go back and forth, get our thoughts on not only this game, but it's kind of a look back on the first eight games of the season for the Jazz. So point one, Donovan Mitchell, and I am going to paraphrase these from time to time. Donovan Mitchell is just great at basketball. He's still taking way more shots than he should, but it's not a knock on Donovan. It's more of a reflection of Bojan, Jordan Clarkson, Conley, Quinn Snyder, and his offense. They need to do more to find balance in the offense. Talk to me about that. Yeah, you know, so Donovan takes 28 shots tonight. It's already the third time this year he's taken 27-plus shots. The Jazz are now 4-17 and 17 in his career when he takes 27 or more shots a game, and it's just not a very effective way to play basketball. We saw this a lot in the 60s with Wilt Chamberlain when he averaged 50 points per game and his team was still mediocre because there's this thing called the freeway theory that Dean Oliver, who's kind of the godfather of basketball statistics, came up with. When you have one player with such a heavy load, and then you, you aren't exactly sure how to distribute the rest of the team's possessions, it can be really hard to get an effective offense. So you take tonight's example, Donovan was great. You know, he finishes with 37 points on 28 shots. That's a good, but not fantastic number. And the Jazz just didn't get enough outside of Donovan. Part of that is nobody just shot the ball. Mike and Boyan were number two on the team with 11 field goal attempts. Um, we've seen Clarkson kind of be that guy at times, but he's so inefficient that it doesn't work all the time, you know, and he's having his five for 15 games. Rudy can't get up shots. Whiteside gets up man amount of shots. Uh, Joe Ingles, we've seen refuse to shoot. Royce O'Neal obviously has a usage problem, which I think is a benefit to this team, but with the jazz ability to distribute their shots has always been a minor issue. And it comes up in big games like this, where Donovan just has to take every single shot and it just doesn't work. Even when Donovan's good, it just doesn't work big picture because nobody else gets into a flow. But it's something that's probably more effective in the playoffs when teams are game planning so specifically than it actually is in a regular season, right? Yeah. But then at the same time, I think Teams are also going out of their way to make sure Donovan doesn't take 28 shots, and Donovan's a big focus for opposing teams in the playoffs. And we've seen the Jazz lose. I mean, we saw was it game one against the Nuggets where Donovan scored 50 and Jamal Murray scored 50, and the Jazz lost because of this same type of thing with Mike Conley uh, back home uh, as his wife gave birth. So it's just something that needs to be careful. If go read Dean Oliver's book. It was kind of the first ever statistical basketball book came out about mm, 17 years ago now and it dives into this really heavily that it's just so hard to have a productive offense with one guy taking every shot even if that one guy is super great um he goes into a lot of detail about will chamberlain okay second point you had in this thread the defense wasn't nearly as bad as people will say i touched on this off of the top we've got to give the heat credit for making tough shots in this ball game the jazz defense wasn't terrific i think they finished this ball game with a 131 defensive rating Locke was talking about at one point early in the fourth quarter the heat were closer to 140 with it as an offensive rating so there were some struggles uh post game i know the 
one of the focuses from Quinn Snyder, Royce O'Neal, and Donovan Mitchell all talked in the, the post-game press conference was transition again, was part of the problem for the Jazz. But why do you think defense wasn't as bad as those numbers would indicate? So he took 38 mid-range shots tonight, and that is one of the wow. highest numbers you'll see. Um, wow. 96th percentile uh, is what cleaning the glass says. So 38 mid-range shots, and they were in the 94th percentile or 6th percentile from the Jazz point of view in makes. So they took 38. They made 22. You get a team shooting well over 50% from mid-range. You just deal with that. Bam was great. Jimmy Butler is one of the best in the league. Uh, Kyle Lowry did his thing. Tyler Hero did their thing. You live with that. Second layer to that, uh, kind of with the Mori ball stuff, is they only took 21 threes. You will 100% live with that. The Jazz try and make 21 threes, and the defense only let the Heat take 21. Now they made, I think it was 11 of them. So, again, 96 percentile in number of attempts, 96 percentile being good for the Jazz. And the flip side of it, third percentile in percentage, uh, three-point percentage. So, you had them take the right shots. You're above the 95th percentile in both mid-range and three-pointers. And then, you know, you're in the bottom 7th percentile and makes both of them. So I think you just give the Heat credit for making tough shots. Now, some of them were open and you'd like to contest them a little bit better. And, you know, nothing was perfect. I'm not going to say the Jazz were great defensively. But at the end of the day, the Heat are a great team with a multi-time All-Star in Kyle Lowry, a legit MVP candidate and all-time great in Jimmy Butler, uh, top five center in Bam, all who can do a good job in the mid-range, and they just, they did, and you give them credit for that. Okay, move it on to the third point here. To the third point, somebody that you and I have talked about quite a bit on this podcast already this season, Eric Pascal, in your view, just isn't it. He is for the role that he's currently playing as the, the 10th man when somebody's hurt and the minutes are available, but you can easily see why the Warriors would be willing to move on from him and why he, you believe he's going to be on the outside looking in when it comes to the Jazz rotation once they are fully healthy. Yeah, so let's be clear about a couple things here. He is for sure an NBA player. And I would say a top 300 NBA player, like should be getting minutes in the NBA. That's different than being a player getting minutes on a top two or three team in the league, a championship contending team. Uh, a team that wants to win 60 games in the regular season and 16 in the playoffs. And so the role he's filling for the Jazz, he can 100% do. That is being the guy when Rudy Gay's out, when Mike Conley's out, when whoever's hurt playing regular season minutes. I just struggle to see him having a big role in a playoff series, a legit second, third, fourth round playoff series because of his offensive limitations. Uh, the Jazz are hovering about 102 offensive rating with him on the court. The other eight rotation players are all at 108 plus. Um, so that means that bench lineup is doing great without them. Uh, you see that with Conley and Gobert and the starters. You see that with Clarkson and Ingles and in the middle lineups with uh, Donovan and Royce and Boyan. Um, you know, tonight, for example, the Jets had an 88 offensive rating with Eric Pascal on the court. And so he's just not quite there offensively. And this is what my worry with letting Niang walk is I just, Niang was such a, glove fit for that bench role where he just knew he he got a shoot and he took shots and he didn't pass up open shots and he made shots and that had a lot of value and I'm still not sure how the Jazz fit that in especially in the regular season and so it's been an issue so far the bench minutes were the big struggle tonight we'll talk about Rudy Gobert in a minute um, and they just could not score and Eric Pascal had a big part to do with that Obviously, the role and the minutes that are available the comparison with George Niang is perfect but the one contention I would have with you there is I think that 
in spite of his offensive limitations, the other things that Eric Pascal does on the basketball court are exactly why he is somebody who would still be trusted in a playoff situation in a game six, like we saw last year against the Clippers where the jazz just could not get any stops on the perimeter. George Niang wasn't the answer there. The issue was never offensively for the jazz. And this is a point that, to a, a more extreme degree that I think you've made with Jordan Clarkson is offensively, the jazz have a lot of options. So you don't need Jordan Clarkson taking 20 shots when he's missing 18 of them. Well, I don't think that having George Niang, we've already learned having a George Niang, a guy who is 85% offense when he's on the floor doesn't help the jazz in the playoffs. When the chips are down, they needed defensive presence. They needed bodies that are going to get dirty. that are going to be tough. That can be physical. And that's exactly what Eric Pascal was. I look back to the bucks game in Milwaukee earlier this season, when I know it was a depleted bucks roster, but Eric Pascal matching up with, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo that's something the Jazz did not have last year now are there, a, there are significant shortcomings on the offensive end with Pascal absolutely but I think his defense allows for him to at least be more of an option come playoff time than George Niang was last year so I think a potential fix here actually is to kind of switch him in some Boyan minutes I think Boyan filling that Niang role fits very, very well for obvious reasons. And I think Pascal would actually be a really good weak side defender with Clarkson Mitchell minutes in the middle of that quarter. I think if you have Clarkson and Mitchell both jacking up a billion shots and you have Whiteside who should be and wants to be getting more shots um, because, you know, centers just make shots. And so that's good. Putting Pascal and Royce on the floor together with that Clarkson Mitchell Whiteside lineup in the middle of quarters, I think could actually work really well as that weak side defender. We saw last year, the George Niang minutes, the Jazz were elite, elite defensively. And that's not because George Niang's some lights out ball stopper, right? But it's just because you have a smart player in Mike, you have a smart player in Joe, you have three-time defensive player Rudy Gobert. You had enough def- defense on the court for that lineup, especially uh, basketball IQ-wise, George Niang included in that section, that they were elite defensively. And so you don't need Pascal's defense with that lineup, but I think it could fall really well into a low usage high defense player like Royce O'Neal next to Clarkson and Mitchell and so that could be something to balance out that I might try is uh, get Boyan to the three stints with Mike and Rudy and let Pascal fill in there um, and I think that's where Ru- uh, Rudy Gay is most likely to play and we'll talk about that in a minute is where does Rudy Gay fit in and what can the Jazz do with rotation it's just to make a few tweaks to make it all all the puzzle pieces fit. Well, you bring up Rudy Gay, and I actually was planning on going out of order because you mentioned in your sixth point that you say, I still have absolutely zero clue where Rudy Gay fits in this lineup for better or for worse. That is the keystone to this season. So at seven and two, you don't really have any idea about a playoff outlook. And I I just look at your first line right there that you have zero clue where Rudy Gay fits. I think where Rudy Gay fits is exactly those minutes that Pascal has been playing. And Rudy Gay still gives you that defensive toughness and ability to defend multiple positions, but also gives you a lot more offensively. And that's exactly where he fits in this offense. That's exactly why Pascal is probably better off as a 10th guy. I really like your theory about the the roles with uh, he and Bojan and what they're able to do and the guys that they're on the floor with. But 
Rudy Gay. We don't know. We we still don't have any type of a firm timeline on when they expect to see him back in the Jazz. Not back in the Jazz lineup. In the Jazz lineup. I'm hearing the end of the month is what I'm hearing is kind of the hope. So we'll see. Could be sooner. Could be later. But that's kind of what I've heard. Through the but radio. still nothing concrete. No, not at all. So you're still kind of questioning where he might fit in this lineup. What are your concerns there? Yeah, so there's two main places he could be, right? He could be George Niang. I worry about, so he's had a weird career. At some points, he's been a really good distributor. At some points, he's been a good shooter. At some points, he plays a lot of isolation ball and jacks up shots and misses a lot of shots, kind of like Jordan Clarkson. And so I'm not really sure what Rudy Gay were getting at 35 years old, coming off an injury in a new team. Um, Personally, I think, Does Rudy Gay fit with this team determines how Rudy Gay's career ends and how Quinn Snyder's tenure with the Jazz ends. Because if they can't figure this out, I think Rudy Gay's done in the league and Quinn Snyder's probably out as Jazz coach. Um, On the flip side, if they figure it out, the Jazz could very, very well be winning a championship this year, next year, dynasty, who knows what. Um, It's that big of a deal from my point of view. But I'm just not sure he fits in the George Niang role. Um, George Niang was a relatively low usage player, and that's not who Rudy Gay is. And so then I worry about who's getting shot attempts. Does that mean Ingles and Gobert and Conley are getting less shot attempts in that death lineup? And then you're leaning on Clarkson and Rudy Gay so much. That's bad. I also worry about if there's enough shots to go around with Clarkson, Rudy Gay, and Donovan Mitchell. Because I re- as I said, I really like that. Robert Covington role for Eric Pascal and Rudy Gay in that middle quarter lineup. Um, I think a weak side defender would go really, really far um, in the Clarkson Mitchell lineups, which we have seen down and we need to talk about that maybe next podcast. So yeah, that's kind of the two places Rudy Gay can fall into place and it could work super well. The Jazz win the championship or could Jeff Green and Rudy Gay's traded at the trade deadline and Quinn Snyder's fired at the end of the year. And it just goes south super fast. And so it's that wide range of outcomes and uh from my point of view and i'm really excited to see what happens and where his minutes come from because i have concerns and excitements at wherever it is assuming he's not a starter and playing minutes with the starters at any point would i be out of line in saying that it sounds to me like you are looking at rudy gay as the fulcrum of this entire jazz season if rudy gay is successful the jazz could be a championship team if Rudy Gay does not fit with this this Jazz team, not only could it be a, a big turning point in his career for the the worse, but it also could have a serious impact on the coaching staff and the entire roster in the coming years. Yeah, I, I use the word keystone, but yeah, fulcrum works too. It's that big of a deal in my point of view. And until that perspective comes into form and we see that for 10 games I just still have no clue what to expect in the playoffs Um, because I really think the on-ball defense was awful in the playoffs and that's true and Rudy Gay can help there a little bit but we saw it tonight and I was going to tweet out a play after we record this podcast of Rudy Gobert had a really strong contest in the second quarter today like booked it out to the corner to block a shot and forced a three-point miss and the Jazz let up an offensive rebound um, and that was just, that's rough. And that's one of the reasons Rudy couldn't close out super strong against the Clippers is because he had to get back and rebound. And so I think that weak side rim protector, that weak side, uh, just deflections and steals and passing lanes guy. I think that, uh, Robert Covington roles, I said earlier, really fits Rudy Gay. And if he, they can figure out a way for, to get that to work, then the defense goes up for a team. He's can do enough offensively as long as he doesn't go out of his way to take a billion shots that it could be a really, really good fit. Um, and so I'm still really excited about Rudy Gay. It's just, it's, it's a question mark until he plays, <laughs> obviously. 
Okay, next point you made was about Rudy Gobert, who you just brought up. He said Rudy Gobert was pretty bad tonight. Don't You don't blame Quinn for benching him down the stretch, but you make the comment, and, and the point I wanted to make about this, we made previously in the show, but you say it's super strange that Quinn doesn't bench Rudy, or Quinn does bench Rudy, but not Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, um, we've already talked about this for the most part. Uh, Rudy Gobert, the thing with Rudy that's so interesting is because he's not a numbers guy. Like you look at his stat line, and you're like, oh, yeah, he was four for five for eight points and eight rebounds, like whatever. But, hey, this is what makes Rudy Gobert a top 15 player in the league is he's never bad. When he's bad, I'm doing air quotes on our Zoom call, but when he's bad, it's because he's invisible, not because he shot four for 22 or had eight turnovers or whatever. It's because he just disappears and doesn't do anything good or bad. And that has a lot of value when you're playing bad teams. And that's why Rudy Gobert is a top 15 player in the league is because he never has bad games. But when you're playing the Miami Heats of the world on the road, you can't have your $40 million a year player be invisible. You need him to have his fingerprint on the game in a positive way. Um, isn't, isn't that the argument that a lot of people made when Rudy got the max contract offer from the jazz that you have a $40 million a year player and he does have at times he, he can disappear against the, the right defensive schemes or against the right type of player, a Jonas Valanciunas. There, there are very specific things that can limit Rudy Gobert's effectiveness. Yeah, and I think that the main question, I think that's a fair question, but I think the main uh, question you have to ask to find the answer is, is that a random thing where he just has random games like he did tonight? Or is that against specific things and specific players? Because I would say, at least from watching the Jazz over the last decade, is... I feel like this is still just pretty random. This is, you know, just as random as Donovan shooting four for 22 or Joe Ingles having a six turnover game or Clarkson shooting bad or Boyan having his, you know, five or six turnover game where, you know, sometimes just as human beings, we don't give our hundred percent effort at work and we screw up and we have to fix mistakes. And I know I do that at work and I'm sure you do as well. And everyone else out there, this was just a bad day for Rudy and that's okay. I think it's pretty random, but if you want to win these games, he's got to have a fingerprint on the game or probably three or four fingerprints, maybe a whole hand print on the game. And he did tonight in the jazz lost. Um, it's a heat game on November 6th. So it doesn't matter too much, but it does something that needs to be better when you get to the playoffs um, or even just in later in the season, if you're fighting for seating then. So he wasn't great tonight, more invisible than bad per se, but it, it was fine. I mean, it is what it is and I'm not concerned about it going forward, but I, I, I just want to point out, I said, Rudy Gobert was bad today and Donovan Mitchell is great today. So uh, everyone write that down <laughs> in your notebooks and we can move on. Next point you had here. I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit. I just got a couple text messages from David Locke. No big deal. No big deal. But I'm plugged in. I am proud of you. Plugged in and in the know, folks. But your next point here, McCade. The uh, Jazz secondary rebounding is inconsistent. Rudy and Hassan have been outstanding. Everyone else, meh. Now, before I throw it over to you, this was something Donovan actually brought up in the post game earlier tonight. He he talked about some of the things that he needs to do to be more effective. Yeah, 37 points is great. Finishes the game with seven assists. We love to see that number. But he got a big goose egg in the rebounding department. And that was something that he had already identified 
10 minutes post game as he's got to do a better job. He actually also pointed out how Kyle Lowry ended up with 12 rebounds himself, ended up getting a triple double. And so Donovan was aware of the fact that his rebounding was not there tonight. Royce O'Neal is a guy who was so impactful rebounding the basketball last season. And we haven't quite seen that same impact this year. Is it, a, a scheme change? Is it something that the Jazz are just going to have to get tougher and work harder to be able to rebound? Or is it just, is part of it that Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside are such great rebounders that there are not as many to go around? I think that's part of it. Um, we saw this last year. I think the Jazz finished top three defensive rebounding percentage last year. And yet we would come on the podcast time and time again and be like, the Jazz cannot defensive rebound us in the clutch and da da da. And it's a problem. And so it's this really weird paradox where statistically they're actually pretty good at this. But the eye test is specifically when they play good teams or in key moments, it just doesn't work as well. So you mentioned tonight. Jazz get 24 defensive rebounds, um, which was actually an okay number. The problem is that he didn't miss shots, but 12 of them go to Rudy and Hassan. And then you get five from Boyan, three from Royce. And then you mentioned Donovan with a zero. Clarkson gets a zero and Joe Ingles gets one. So between Donovan Clarkson and Ingles, you get one defensive rebound. And that's just not going to help you win these close games when it gets down to it. There were some bad offensive generally lit up seven offensive rebounds tonight but there were some really bad ones especially in the fourth quarter I want to say four or five of their offensive rebounds they let up were in the fourth quarter um so really just bad timing offensive rebounds let up there in the middle of the quarter and so that just needs to be better that's some effort some scheme it seems like the Jazz want to get out and run they've you know been getting out and run a good amount this year but the so this is gonna I'm gonna get really really basic to make a point here basketball is a game about scoring points and you score points by having the ball and shooting the ball into the basket. And so when you score points, you make baskets. When you get assists, it's because you pass to somebody who made a basket. And when you get a rebound, it's because you got your team the ball so you could go shoot instead of the other team getting a shot because shots lead to baskets. So I know that's super, super basic. Um, McCain, are you a Harry (laughs) Potter fan? Enough. Okay, so some people use the phrase basic bitch. I'm a big Harry Potter fan, and I alter that to Hufflepuff as hell. And my friend, you just went Hufflepuff Hufflepuff as hell. But, like, (laughs) seriously, though, you get rebounds to get the ball so your team can shoot instead of the other team. And that's a very basic, basic, basic fundamental of basketball. And so if the Jazz want to get more shots up and make more shots and score more points and win more games, they need to get the ball when the other team misses. And if Rudy Gobert is not in position, you know, that somebody else needs to step up and get that rebound. I'm going to use that phrase now, Hufflepuff as hell. No, I, I hope you do. I, I'm trying to spread it far and wide. I think it's a good one. All right, man. Last point that you made here, and this is long-term speculative. You're looking all the way into March on this one. But you said – and this shows how confident you still are in this team in spite of the loss tonight. The Jazz will likely have the top record in the league at the trade deadline and use that as a reason to not make a trade bigger than Matt Thomas like they did last season. But true to form, as always, McCade Pearson. We're going to trade Jordan Clarkson eventually. Trying to shake these up. The Gen Z coming out and it it didn't work. So we got to change it immediately. You you still want to move on from Bojan and or Jordan Clarkson if they want to make a finals run. Yeah, we've talked about this a good amount already uh, over the past year, but we're I'm just not sure where their roles are. I mean, we know Clarkson's role is a shot taker, 
Um, I like shot makers, not shot takers. I think that's a, a quote from Jerry Sloan specifically. Or a rap. Right. It's, it's been out there. But yeah, you need shot makers, not shot takers. And Clarkson's been awful in the first half of the last five games specifically. He's like, I think the numbers are four for 39 and 0 for 24 from three in the first half of the last five games. Um, so when he hits a three in the first half tomorrow, I'm going to go nuts. But we just, we know what these guys, so with Clarkson, we know what he is. He's a shot taker. Sometimes he goes off like he did the other night and it's great. And sometimes he misses a lot of shots and it's hard to win. Um, again, let, I want to step back and be clear like I was there, Pascal. These guys are top 150 players, top 100 players in the entire world. But we're trying to win a championship here. We're not trying to be the sixth seed. We're not trying to lose in the second round like we did last year. We're trying to win 16 playoff games, right? And so there are plenty of teams out there that I would love to have Jordan Clarkson on my team for. Dallas, for example, I would love Jordan Clarkson to get some help for Luka. The Jazz a couple years ago, he was great to come in and get some shots up when the Jazz needed that. Um, and then with Boyan, I just still don't know what his role is. His, his role in the NBA is a legit second scorer on a borderline playoff team like he was in Indiana. Um, I'm just not sure if he has it in him to be in the role of fourth or fifth best player on a title team at this point in his career. He's more of a second or third option on a borderline playoff team. And so he just kind of has these games. I mean, his stats were good today. Finishes with 16, five and four, um, you know, good shooting. I mentioned only 11 shots. though. was the second leading field goal attempt guy. Um, second, uh, Mike Conley finished with more points, but yeah. So I just still don't know where Boyan fits on this team in the playoffs as a fourth or fifth best player. Um, we saw last year when Donovan and Mike got hurt at the end of the season, he can be a second option and a really, really good second option. But without his usage being that high, I worry about him as a uh, borderline starter on a uh, contending team instead of a second or third option on a borderline playoff team. Well, I Does think that make sense? We've talked I about this a lot. I get it. I, I think we've probably spent enough time on Jordan Clarkson over the last few episodes that we don't at this point, it's kind of beating a dead horse. Yeah. He's, he's struggling right now and it's tough to watch at times, but when you talk about uh, Borg, you said specifically that you're not sure what his role is with this team. And so while you were, you were continuing, I went back and pulled up his numbers from this season and the biggest complaint, I know that I was one of the proponents, you and I were right there leading the charge for if we trade Boyan and get a defensive minded power forward, it could be the difference for this jazz team. And the main issues I had with him last year were that his bell curve was so wide. He would have games where he scores seven points and then he'd have games where he scores 30 this year. That bell curve has closed the, fewest points he scored this season has been 13 the most he scored has been 23 I, I just want to go through let's starting with Miami tonight 16 points Atlanta 23 Sacramento 20 Milwaukee 14 Chicago 14 Houston 19 Denver 15 Sacramento 13 Oklahoma City 22 if that bell curve stays closed, he's getting consistent touches. He's shooting between – he's getting the fewest amount of attempts he's had this year in the game was against Milwaukee where he shot the ball nine times, went three of nine from the field. The most attempts he's had was in the season opener against Oklahoma City where he shot the ball 17. 
all of that is consistent. That's exactly what Boyan needs. And that's what my problem was last year is he wasn't getting consistency out of the Jazz offense. When one of Donovan or Mike would miss a game, Boyan became the second option and you knew he was going to get 15 shots. But then nights where everybody was healthy, Boyan might only get six shots. As long as he keeps that, that bell curve more narrow and we don't have to wonder what the Boyan experience is going to be from night to night. I think he's perfect on this team and he's absolutely more than capable of being the fourth. And I mean, the fifth option on a, on a championship team. Absolutely. If Boyan's your fifth option, you are a great, great team, but he's perfectly capable of being the fourth option. Yeah, so a couple things. One, I think he's been really, really good this year. This is more based off last year, and contrary to Twitter's beliefs and contrary to Twitter as a whole, uh, I don't change my opinions or beliefs that much based off one game or two games or even nine games. Um, You know, I'm not going to sit and watch Dorian Clarkson go nine for 11 and think, okay, now he's the MVP compared to what I just saw an hour and a half ago. Um, And yeah, so Boyan's been awesome. And the other thing is just uh, cap wise, CBA wise, financially, I agree. There's not really a trade out there right now for Boyan that makes sense for us and another team. So I wouldn't expect Boyan to be traded. I'd still focus on Jordan Clarkson because there's a lot of guys in that salary range that are easily movable and interesting. Um, but it's just something I am putting on the bookshelf of, I do not want to go down the same road uh, as last year with uh, Matt Thomas. So, and I think even you would agree that if you're looking at this team, those are the two names easily on the trade block of that have some value around the league that might not fit for the jazz specifically and could be upgraded a little bit. Maybe Joe Ingles. I'm pretty off that train right now, but everyone else is either a superstar on a minimum or Royce O'Neal, who he's what you're trying to trade for is a defensive guy like Royce O'Neal. So um, I think Boyan and Clarkson are easily the two names that are going to be murmured the most and what happens we'll wait and see, but I wouldn't expect anything this year. I'm not advocating the trade for any of these guys, but yes, to your point, Bojan and Jordan Clarkson are two of the most tradable contracts. You also mentioned Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal. They're, they're all in that you know, 13 to $19 million a year range. There's a, a lot of salaries out there that can match up with that across the league. I'm not advocating for any of that. I, I have very high hopes for this jazz team. My confidence is high and before any shakeups or major change considerations are even looked at, you've got to get Rudy Gay back and you have to have Rudy Gay play 15, 20 games with this team and see what you have. Because right now we still yes. don't know what we have. Yes, sir. Got to get Usually the 15 to 20 game mark is the uh, appropriate sample size needed for NBA data. So let's get Rudy Gay back. Let's win some more ball games. As I said in that Twitter thread, I still think the Jazz had the best record in the NBA come the trade deadline in mid-February in the All-Star break. So uh, keep it up. Um, we're finally coming home for some games after a quick stop in Orlando tomorrow night. Yep. Jazz uh, jumping on a plane right now, heading north up that Florida panhandle to the Magic Kingdom. Early tip-off tomorrow afternoon, 4 o'clock, the 2-8 and eight Orlando Magic. They've got some pieces they have some athleticism on that team, but they they don't have some winning basketball players at this <laughs> point in their careers. Yeah, fair enough. So four o'clock for that tip off and a shameless plug here. You put the game on TV, but line it up with radio because tomorrow. Isn't there a website that does that? 
I don't know. There probably I there was is. A website I, I, I did it myself the last time I tried to. It's really not that hard. It's about a 20-second delay, so just pause your TV, let the radio catch up. Not a big deal. Or rewind. I can't remember. Do you have to rewind the TV? Where is Radiohead? I, whatever anyway. it is. But shameless self-plug here. I've been sitting in a room learning what we're doing with uh, my friend Jeffrey Carroll and producing these games. Tomorrow, I'm going to be on the controls. I'm going to be having my hands on the board. I'm going to be making all the highlights. I'm going to be doing it all. So listen to the radio, and if it gets really screwed up, then then we're going to blame Jeff and say that he took over. So, <laughs> All right, I, I got two quick questions and comments for you. and then we'll Yeah, what's up? up? One, are you growing a respect for the players and back-to-backs now that you have to deal with them? Uh, well, I mean, back to I'm not traveling. I, I, it took me. It still took me three minutes to drive from the arena to home after the game. So, no, I, I'm not saying that this has, has impacted my uh, respect for the players on back-to-backs. Okay, and number two, I just want to throw out that the Utes' magic number to win the South right now is two, and Arizona State is only up one point on USC late in the third quarter. So, if they can lose that game, the Utes can clinch the South next week, and uh, I'll feel pretty good about that. You know, those are both students and recent graduates of the University of Utah. So I'm going to throw that out there as well. Hey, let's go Utes. I'm not a Utah fan, but I do have 16 seats to the Pac-12 championship game. So if anybody's <laughs> looking to go and the Utes clinch, What's your I'm Twitter? your guy. Give me a call. What's your you, Twitter? Can, you can find me on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. You can find Gen Z Utah Jazz on Instagram at Gen Z underscore Utah Jazz podcast and on Twitter at Gen Z underscore Utah Jazz. McCade, tell them about the co-op. Uh, just So first of all, we're part of Gen Z uh, broad, uh, podcast network. So go check all those out and uh, other teams as they try and get that up on their feet. And then for jazz podcasts, go listen to uh, twos and threes, hitting the high notes, uh, the hive. There's plenty of them out there. We tweet them out when they come out. They tweet us out. They're all great stuff. I think the jazz guys are going to come back at some point in the next three, four, five months. Um, well, I hope so. Deuce. Um, uh, dog and deuce. Dog and Absolutely. Deuce. There's, there's a good chunk of us. So go support other jazz fans. Give their podcast uh, five stars and go comment on their podcast that they're pretty good, but we're a little bit better. Um, they'll appreciate <laughs> that comment, and we'll appreciate that comment. And, you know, we're a good jazz community here. Utah's a fun place to talk basketball, specifically uh, jazz basketball. Where can I find you on Twitter? You can find me at McCadep8, uh, M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8, where I tweet out golden threads. And listen to the radio tomorrow, 4 o'clock. Take note.